Pastor Chris's podcast. There are some very interesting characters in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. None of them deserve to be included in Jesus' royal lineage. But God doesn't reward people for, with what they deserve. Instead, He is gracious and He loves people who put their whole faith in Him. So there are only five women that are listed among the 40 male ancestors of Christ. Who were these maidens and why were they remembered in a society that usually overlooked women? Last week we heard the tale of Tamar, who was mistaken for a prostitute by her father-in-law. But today we're going to learn about Rahab, who actually was a prostitute. For 400 years, 400 years after Tamar lived, the Israelites lived in Egypt and they became slaves and the Egyptians sorely oppressed them. But God remembered His promise to give the Israelites a home in the land of Canaan as His holy people. They would be God's representatives to the whole world and He was going to give them this promised land. And so God raised up Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. And after wandering in the desert for 40 years, God chose a leader named Joshua to lead the Israelites to finally conquer the land of Canaan. To take the promised land, Joshua and the Israelites would have to destroy the Canaanite fortress city, Jericho. God promised He would do the fighting for the Israelites. They wouldn't even have to do the fighting. He was going to conquer the city. This would prove to everyone that God was the true Lord of all. And so we pick up the story. It's in Joshua chapter 2, and it's in uh, verse 1 and following. <clears throat> then Joshua secretly sent two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and stayed there that night. And so here we are introduced to the heroine of our story, Rahab the prostitute. Prostitution has never been an honorable profession, but it is the oldest profession. In a male-dominated society like we find in the Old Testament, prostitution was one of the only ways a woman could make it on her own. You know, little girls don't dream of being prostitutes when they grow up. They choose to sell their bodies for sex only because it's the only way they can survive. Brenda Myers Powell was a prostitute for 25 years on the west side of Chicago. Her mother died when she was only six months old. She was raised by her grandmother, who was an alcoholic. Brenda was molested regularly by, her, by the, the men who would come to, to visit her grandmother. Her grandmother would oftentimes uh, be so drunk from being an alcoholic, she would be so drunk she would pass out. And while she was passed out, the men would take advantage of this little girl. Brenda, growing up in this situation, had two babies by the time she was only 14 years old. 
with these two babies screaming and crying in the house, Brenda's grandmother told her she needed to get a job because they had nothing to eat. And so, Brenda joined the prostitutes who stood on the street corner in front of her house. In her own words, she said, since men have been taking her panties off her whole life, she figured she might as well get paid for it. Most church people have strong opinions about prostitutes and prostitution. But how many of us have actually ever talked to a prostitute and heard their story? Jesus did. It was one of the reasons why his adversaries hated him so much. In Mark chapter 2, verse 16, tells us that the religious leaders said, why does he eat with such scum? Jesus ate with prostitutes and tax collectors and other notorious sinners because God cares about them just as much as He cares about me and you. And Jesus, as God, sees the heart. And He knows the whole story of why people do what they do. And He loves. And He's gracious. And He forgives. And He redeems. We don't know why Rahab was a prostitute. The Bible doesn't give us the details. But I don't think it's too hard. You don't have to go too far out on a limb and see that if she was a prostitute, it's probably because she didn't have any other choice. Like I said, little girls don't sit down and dream that one day they're going to grow up to be a prostitute. On the other hand, we could ask some nagging questions about the spies in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. What were the spies doing at the prostitute's house? These spies are members of God's chosen people. They are supposed to be holy. They're supposed to be on a mission from God. But the first thing that they do when they cross enemy lines is go to a brothel. Now, who am I to judge? I don't know their backstory either. I don't know why they went. Maybe God sent them there. We don't know. I suppose they had their reasons. But I have another question. Why was Joshua sending spies in the first place? God promised he would conquer Jericho, that all the promised land would be given to the Israelites. The battle would be the Lord's, not the Israelites. It's not like they needed to go in there and scope out the place and figure out how could they possibly defeat it. Why was Joshua sending spies? Did he trust? Did he not trust God? If you read the whole story, you'll see that the Israelites didn't have to do much fighting. They marched around the city a bunch of times and blow some trumpets. This was all symbolic. The Lord did the fighting. The city fell. There was no need to send spies unless you didn't trust God's Word. One way to read Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 is Joshua sent some spies to secretly find out about Jericho. That's the way I've always read it. But then when I looked at it this week in preparing, I thought there's another way to read this. It's sort of like, it's almost saying Joshua sent them in secret. As in, he didn't want his own people to know that he was sending spies. Because one thing I don't see anywhere in this passage 
is where it says that God told Joshua to send spies. Now there's another story back in Genesis, or back in Exodus, I think it is. There's another story where some spies are sent in the promised land. Moses sent 12 spies to check out the land. Because God told Moses to send 12 spies. And so God, so Moses sends these 12 spies. And they go in and they scope out the land and come back. And only two of the 12 spies believed that God could actually take the land. The other 10 spies said, there's no way. The people are giants. There's no way we can take the land. And God was so disgusted that the Israelites had to, that, that those spies didn't trust God that the Israelites had to wait 40 more years before they could go into the promised land. An entire generation passed away. That was what God told Moses to send the spies. But I don't read anywhere in this passage where God told Joshua to send spies. At any rate, Joshua's spies are the worst spies in the history of all spies. Right? The first thing that they do is they go to a prostitute's house And in verse 2, their cover is immediately blown and the enemy knows that they're in town and the enemy is hunting for them. Joshua 2, 2-7. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden... The two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk, and the gates, as the gates were about to close, I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon As the king's men left, the gates of Jericho were shut. Why did Rahab hide the spies? Why did she protect the Israelites? Well, she tells us herself. Verses 8 through 11. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroy. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of heaven above and the earth below. You know, I really wish we had more details about the backstory of Rahab. We don't know why she became a prostitute. We don't have that information. Maybe, maybe, and I wish it would tell us, but maybe she was out there one day and she's praying, God, I don't want to do this, and I don't want to be a prostitute. I don't... Would you please help me somehow to get out of this life? It's the only thing I can do to provide for myself and my family. We don't know if she was out there one day praying for God to help. But we do know that God helped her. 
What we have in the story is a profession of faith. A profession of faith is a statement where a person says that they believe in God and promise to follow Him. Now, we're all Methodists sitting here today, and we like to make things easy as a Methodist. We like to make it easy for people to make a profession of faith. So we list it right there in the front of our hymnal on page 34. There's a profession of faith. And this probably sounds familiar to you because we've used it numerous times here in worship services. It says something like, Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in His grace and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with, Christ, with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, all nations, and all races? And we make it so easy for people, we don't even, they don't even have to say anything except affirm that they accept that. And they say what? I do, right? They say, I do. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. But when God saves someone, it doesn't always look like it does in church. It doesn't always look like it you've seen in a Billy Graham crusade. It could look like Rahab's story. Rahab exhibits all three elements of a person who truly turns their life over to God and is saved for eternal life. There's faith, there's a profession of faith, and there's action. Faith, profession of faith, and action. First of all, there's faith. Of all the people in this story, when I read it, I think Rahab had the most faith out of everyone. See, while Joshua was sending spies when he should have just trusted God's promise, Rahab is having great faith. Rahab has to trust these spies that she doesn't know anything about that could have betrayed her. I mean, they're spies, right? By definition, spies are sort of, you know, kind of dark and secretive, do you know if you could really trust a spy? I mean, would they be lying to you? But Rahab trusts that they won't betray her. She puts her life on the line for them. She puts all her hope in a God she had never worshipped before. Trusted He that would save her. I mean, here she is, Rahab, a Canaanite, who'd grown up in Canaanite world and doing all of their customs, probably worshiping the Canaanite gods. And here are these people, and rumors are running wild, and people are telling stories about these Israelites who crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, and everywhere they go, their God is making them conquer the people that stand to try to stop them. And she puts her faith in this God that she's heard about. Man, the Canaanite gods must have been some really sorry gods. Her religion must have been really terrible. Certainly her way of life that she'd grown up in as a prostitute in a Canaanite land was terrible. And she thinks, maybe this is the God, this Israelite's God, He's the one who can save me. He's the one true God. And God is willing to accept the faith of anyone who trusts Him that way and turns to Him for forgiveness and salvation. Do you have faith 
to turn your backs on everything that is not of God and to turn to Him instead. So there's faith in the story in her profession. Then there's number two, there's a profession of faith. Rahab professed, professed her faith in God. She said, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of heavens above and the earth below. Joshua 2.11 Have you ever made a profession of faith? Have you ever said out loud to someone else that you know that God is the supreme Lord of all? Do you continue to tell people every chance that you get this truth that God is the Lord of all whenever you get the chance? There's faith and a profession of faith. And number three, there's action. Rahab acted on her faith. You know, you can talk the talk, but if you don't walk the walk, what difference does it make? Rahab walked the walk. She defied the king of Jericho and his soldiers. She put her own life on the line. She hid the Israelite spies and sent the soldiers on a wild goose chase and helped the spies escape. She lowered them down from her house through the window so that they could get away. Do you put your beliefs about God into action? Do you do what He asks you to do? Do you serve the Lord with all your heart? Joshua 2, verses 12 through 21. Rahab says, Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live, along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. You see, Rahab's faith was not just going to save her. It's going to save her whole family. The spies replied, We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go away. You can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into this land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, your mother, brothers, and all of your relatives must be here inside this house. If they go into the streets and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on the people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however... We are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. Isn't it interesting? The rope was scarlet. All kinds of stuff that you could read into that or ponder about that. How does the story end? 
We find the answer to Rahab's fate in the sixth chapter of Joshua. The Israelites surround the fortress of Jericho. All the villagers that live on the outside of the fortress uh, are, you know, they all flee away, they run away. But those who are inside the walls are mostly soldiers and those who are determined to fight to the very bitter end. But God said He would do the fighting for the Israelites. So for six days, He has the Israelites march around Jericho once, one time each day for six days. They march around the city. It gives you an idea of how large the city was. Because, I mean, if it was the size of Atlanta, I don't know that you could march a whole army around it in one day, let alone seven times in one day. So they could march all the way around the city each day. And on the seventh day, they marched around Jericho seven times. Then the Israelite priests blow their ram's horns and all the people shout and the walls of Jericho come crashing down. Everywhere except the part of the wall that houses Rahab's home. The Israelites swarm over the rubble into the city to mop up the remaining defenders who had not been killed by the collapse. But it wasn't much of a fight. Can you imagine and then in Joshua chapter 6, verses 22 to 23, and verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, Keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. And verse 25, so Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Or at least to the point that it was written. And then we look all the way a thousand years later. We fast forward in the Bible all the way to the New Testament, to the first book, the first chapter of Matthew. And we see Jesus' genealogy, and what do we find? Rahab is one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. That's Rahab's story. What's your story? Are you facing a situation you just cannot overcome on your own. I want to tell you, God knows about your situation. See, Rahab was a prostitute. Uh, prostitutes are oftentimes ignored, shamed, overlooked. And in the land of Canaan, she couldn't expect any mercy or relief there. God saw her. God didn't forget her. God cared about her. And God sees whatever it is that you're going through. And He cares about you. And He doesn't forget about you. And He doesn't overlook you. But do you realize that God is the only hope you have? Do you trust God to save you? To redeem whatever situation you're in? He will redeem 
your situation. But He'll also save your soul. Are you willing to profess your faith in God and turn your back on everything that is not of Him? Are you willing to act on your faith by putting it all on the line for Him? That's the questions that God has for you today. So, let's pause. Bow our heads for a moment of silence. This is your chance to talk to the Lord about it.